What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the Kentucky Derby. It's the 149th running of the race this year. The race only lasts two minutes, but there's 150,000 people that will pack Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky to see some of the world's fastest horses. And the business behind this event is fascinating. So today I want to run through a little bit of the history, and then I'm going to give you a full rundown on the business and money behind this event and some of the most interesting facts that you need to know. Let's get right to it. All right, so this Saturday is the 149th running of the Kentucky Derby. The actual race only lasts two minutes, but more than 150,000 people will pack Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky to see 20 of the world's fastest horses. The three-year-old thoroughbreds and their trainers and owners will be competing for $3 million in prize money, and another 15 million people will be watching at home. The Kentucky Derby is a spectacle, plain and simple. Downtown Louisville hotels typically see a 93% occupancy rate throughout the week. Last year's event brought in a reported economic impact of $400 million throughout the week. And the list of past attendees includes people like Queen Elizabeth, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Babe Ruth, Jack Nicholson, Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady, Serena Williams, and even Drake. The Kentucky Derby has become one of the greatest spectacles in sports. And the business and money behind this event is just as fascinating as its 149-year history. So today I want to do a couple of things. I want to run through some of the history. I'm going to do it in chronological order because I think that makes the most sense. And then second part of this will be running through the business. And stay tuned because the business is actually really, really, really fascinating for this event. It's much bigger than I think most people realize. And there's a bunch of interesting stats that I have and numbers at the end that I think you will find fascinating yourself. And it's like stuff that you can share with your friends. So stay tuned. Let's run through it. First, the Kentucky Derby in 1872, there was this person named Meriwether Lewis Clark, the grandson of William Clark. Yes, the famous Lewis and Clark. He wanted to bring a horse racing spectacle to the United States after attending a derby in England. And he was hanging out with a bunch of different people there and really loved it. So he wanted to bring it to the U.S. Two years after that, in 1874, his uncles, John and Henry Churchill, gave him land to develop into a horse racing track as a gift. He formed a group of local horse racing fans in Louisville as the Louisville Jockey Club. And with the support of the club, Clark raised money to build a permanent track in Louisville. The first derby was then held on May 17th, 1875. Clark opened the racetrack to the public, and the Louisville Jockey Club hosted the first ever Kentucky Derby. A total of 10,000 spectators showed up to the inaugural event, and a horse named Aristides, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Aristides, beat out 14 other three-year-old thoroughbred horses in a 1.5-mile race. The purse? $2,850 at the time. Then fast forward a couple of years, in 1883, Louisville track was officially named Churchill Downs, which it is still called today. Bookmaking also changed relatively shortly after that too in 1889. So just, you know, 15, 20 years after the race started, the bookmaking changed the way that they're betting on the horses. So there's this new system called parimutuel betting machines. And basically the easiest way to think about it is with normal gambling and casino gambling, it's you against the house, right? Everyone always says the house wins. But with this format, you're pulling all the money together and people are betting against each other at the race. The house, what we'll call this, you know, the, the racetrack or whoever's managing the bets, takes a commission off the top, and then all the other bets are distributed to the people that are betting, right? So the reason why that's important is because it's just as important to understand how other people are going to bet so you can gain an edge versus understanding how and who to bet for. 
right? So you, understanding kind of how other people are going to bet in the, the race and, and so forth is just as important because of this system and this structure. Again, that was implemented in 1889. Then in 1896, so we're not even at 1900 yet. In 1896, the Derby was shortened from 1.5 miles to 1.25 miles. And basically what they said was that the length was too long for three-year-old thoroughbreds early in the springtime. So they shortened it by a quarter of a mile. Then in 1903, 30 years in, Kentucky Derby finally turns a profit. The first time they ever turned a profit was in 1903. 1904, one year after the first profit, they got some flowers. The red rose became the official flower of the Kentucky Derby, and winners are now receiving a flower arrangement of roses since 1896. 1904, though, it became the official, and every single year you'll see the pictures. They get this big bouquet and big thing of flowers. Bookmakers are outlawed in 1908, and the wagering machines are brought back to Churchill Downs. Guess how much money was bet on the 1908 Derby race? 18300 Obviously, that number has drastically increased now. The purse has also increased too. So the purse increased at the time from just a few hundred dollars to $5,475. There were fees added, right? So every horse was paying a $25 fee and a $100 fee to race. So if you wanted to nominate a horse to be in the race, you had to pay a $25 fee. And then if that horse was selected, they had to pay a $100 fee. When you add all that up between the nominees and the horses, it came out to a little bit over $5,000. Then in 1925, the first radio broadcast and a birth of a catchphrase. The Kentucky Derby had its first network radio broadcast on May 16th, 1925. Guess how many viewers they drove? Five to six million listeners. I mean, not viewers, listeners. For that first radio broadcast, sports columnist Bill Coram coins the phrase, Run for the Roses. Obviously, that became legendary. 1931, the schedule permanently changed. The first Saturday in May is now the conductor Derby every single time. This is important because it gave some consistency to the schedule when it comes to triple crown races, right? So you have the Derby, Preakness, and the Belmont. Now there's consistency in the schedule. It's the first Saturday in May. It's been that way since 1931. Almost 100 years they've been having it at the same time every single year. They race through a depression. In World Wars, from 1932 to 1943, the Kentucky Derby still ran, even though the world struggled, obviously, through the Great Depression and World War II. We talked about this in the past, right? Look at the Masters, Augusta. That club, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, shut down during this period of time. The Kentucky Derby did not. It kept running. The first telecast on TV was in 1949. It was local. The first national one was in 1952. It drew 10 to 15 million viewers in 1952. 1952. The purse went to six figures. It increased to more than $100,000 in 1954. That's $1.1 million today when adjusting for inflation. And then look, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff. We could run through all of this stuff. I have a bunch of different bullet points written now kind of describing every single thing that goes on here. But I think probably the most important thing to think about is the economic impact of this race, right? It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's one of the biggest economic drivers in all of sports today. The reason for this is simple. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby is big. We all know this. We've seen it. You watch it on TV and so forth. It's a full day of coverage. But there's actually two weeks leading up to it, which is the Kentucky Derby Festival. And it's huge for the Louisville economy. If you just look at kind of the festival, right, one of the most interesting things behind this is when you include all of that, it's over $400 million in economic impact. Again, this is something that it's hard to, to judge ultimately, but that's the number that they're giving. They say that the Derby alone brings in about $360 million of that. So the two weeks leading up to it is maybe $40 million, $360 million alone just from the one race. You know, there's 147,000 people that attend the race. There's 250,000 that attend the two weeks leading up to it. 
So hundreds of thousands of people are attending this race every single year. Millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent at local restaurants, hotels, all that kind of stuff, right? It's just a massive driver of the economy. And the easiest way to think about this are the hotel occupancy rates. In 2023, 93% of all hotel rooms in downtown Louisville were booked out that weekend. And 83% of all hotel rooms in the entire city were booked out that weekend. So obviously it is a very important time for the economy in Louisville. The purse has also changed over time. The purse this year is $3 million. But here's one of the interesting things. Unlike other tournaments and other sporting events where the purse is divided between everyone, only the top five finishers in the Kentucky Derby get paid. Here's how it works out. Well, the easiest way to think about it, right, is there's 20 horses, five of them get paid. So 75% of the horses don't win any money. The winner wins $1.86 million, which is 62% of the purse. Second place is 600,000, then 300,000, then 150,000, and fifth place wins 90,000, which is just 3% of the purse. For those that don't know kind of how horse racing works and who else is involved from a monetary standpoint, it's a very expensive sport. It's tough to get the horses in, but if you win, it can be very, very lucrative. So the way that a purse is split up, if you win the whole Kentucky Derby and you get first place $1.86 million, about 80% of that, call it $1.48 million, is going to go to the owner of the horse. Another 10% is going to go to the jockey, call it 186000 And then the trainer is going to get 10% too, another 186000 So 80% to the owner, 10% to the jockey, 10% to the trainer. One fun fact why we're here when we talk about kind of the owner relationship, NFL Network Insider Ian Rappaport, as well as Joy Taylor and Lindsay Zarniak of Fox Sports are part owners of Jace's Road who is running in this year's Kentucky Derby and has 36 to 1 odds to win the race. Pretty cool. TV rights. TV rights are another big thing, obviously, when it comes to the business behind this event. NBC has been broadcasting the Kentucky Derby since 2001. In 2014, NBC Sports Group and Churchill Downs Incorporated signed a 10-year extension of NBC's rights to the Kentucky Derby. And this also includes the Kentucky Oaks and Derby and Oaks Day programming through 2025. Now, the annual fee for this is not known, However, NBC's previous deal with Churchill Downs was worth $9 million per year, and this is a massive event, so you have to assume that it's more than that. Now, the Kentucky Derby has averaged 15.11 million viewers over the last 10 races, 10 races, and this year's main event is not going to start until 6.57 p.m. So if you look at just over the past years, 2022, 16 million viewers, 14 and a half in 2021, the only time we saw less than call it 15 million viewers, was in 2020 during the pandemic. We saw 9.3 million. And anyone that was following what was going on at the time, sports around the world saw a drop in viewership over this time period. It was like kind of a weird time. A bunch of different factors were going into it. But that is literally the only time over the last decade that we've seen less than 15 million viewers for this race. So it's a big, 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 big thing. One of the most important things to remember too is that this is only a two-minute race, but NBC is willing to pay so much money for it because they make a full day out of it. When you think about the Super Bowl or the World Series or the Masters or the Stanley Cup or whatever it is, right? Like any of these big time sporting events, the game is only a few hours, right? And they're paying all this money to broadcast that single event. And when you look at the Kentucky Derby, you would say, okay, only two minutes. How are they able to pay $15 million or whatever it ends up being for that event and make that money back on just two minutes? Well, Obviously, they have seven and a half hours of coverage for a two-minute event. There's TV coverage across streaming, whatever it is, right? It's all over the place. This year's race will have a drone camera. They'll have jockey cams. They'll have a steward's room cam. They'll have 50 total cameras on the track. And then there will be a red carpet 360, what they're calling glam cam 
for celebrity coverage. So again, there's going to be all kinds of people at this year's event, like there is every single year. The outfits are obviously one of the most important things going into this event. This dates all the way back to when the race started. The, the founders of this race wanted it to be a celebrity event. They were taking inspiration from the derbies in England at the time. They wanted people to dress up. The hats have become known, obviously. Some people think they're for good luck. Other people wear them to keep sun out of their eyes or just because of high fashion. But you get the point. The fashion at this event is obviously very important. My Old Kentucky Home is the song played at the Derby every single year. It's played by the University of Louisville Marching Band, and it's sung by the attendees as the horses make their way to the track. I recommend everyone go look up a video of that if you haven't seen it yet. It's very cool. One of the other last things that I'll say about this, too, is the mint julep. It's the traditional cocktail of the Kentucky Derby. It's been around for 100 years, nearly 100 years. They've been drinking the same cocktail there. 120,000 mint juleps are sold over two days of the Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby this weekend at Churchill Downs Racetrack. They need 10,000 Old Forester mint julep ready to serve cocktail bottles to make all of these different drinks. They use 1,000 pounds of fresh mint for the mint juleps, and they use 60,000 pounds of ice for the mint juleps during the Kentucky Derby weekend. This episode is sponsored by SoFi. SoFi is the all-in-one finance app, helping you bank, borrow, invest, and save. SoFi's mission is to help members achieve financial independence and realize their ambition, all in one app. It's the single app you need to get your money right. I'm a SoFi member, and I love it. SoFi is legit, and they comply with the strict regulatory standards of the FDIC, so you can be sure that your money is safe. Visit SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano to learn more. That's SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano. All right, let's get back to this episode. This is one of the most interesting events of the year. And if last year's told us anything about this, I actually wrote about this in the newsletter last year when Rich Strike won this event. Now, for those that don't remember exactly what happened, Rich Strike won the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby, and it was one of the most impressive underdog stories in sports. So as a quick recap, Rick Dawson, who's the owner of the horse and their trainer, Eric Reed, acquired Rich Strike from a $30,000 claiming race at Churchill Downs in September 2021. Now, a claiming race is where they put horses up for sale at a set price. The horse's owner must agree to sell the horse if someone claims them during the race. If more than one person puts in a claim, they do what is called a shake, where one of the bidders is chosen at random through a draw. I, I think it's chosen at random. I may be wrong on that, but essentially there's a tiebreaker. While these races are seen as like the backbone of the sport, the odds indicate you have virtually no chance of acquiring a premium Kentucky Derby winning horse. It's just not going to happen. The $30,000 horse, the ones that are running in the Kentucky Derby are thoroughbreds. In a lot of cases, they're spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to train, acquire whatever it is with these horses. So Rich Dawson claimed Rich Strike for $30,000. They started training the horse. It ran well in a few races over the first few months, but finished 21st on the Kentucky Derby's top 20 list. So the way this works is you have to go compete in all these different races to try to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike finished 21st on a list of 20. So it missed the spot by one. Didn't get it by one, and it wouldn't be racing. Rick Dawson, the owner of last year's horse, Rich Strike, told his family and friends and staff they wouldn't be heading to Louisville, Kentucky for the Derby. But then he got the call. Ethereal Road was being scratched from the race just 30 seconds before the deadline on Friday. Literally 30 seconds, and Rich Strike wouldn't have been in the race. Obviously, the horse got in because it was on the first on the alternate list. And then next thing you know, the horse won. It started from the post position 20, obviously the worst starting spot on the track, fell behind the field pretty early on. Then its trainer, 
Sony Leon weaved through the pack and completed one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Rich Strike's odds closed at 80 to 1 before the race, and only one horse in Kentucky Derby history has won from worse odds in 1913. 1913. Obviously, it was incredible. And the best part is Rick Dawson turned his $30,000 investment into at least $1.86 million. Now, look, obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff to consider when it comes to the cost of these horses. There's boarding, there's training, there's grooming, all of that stuff. But one of the least talked about things when it comes to this in the traditional business of sports world is stud fees and breeding rights that typically end up being the most valuable part. Look, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I've done plenty of research on this in the past, and I've talked to a bunch of people that have done a lot of work in this area. And here's what you need to know, right? The horse will raise maybe one or two more times after that, and then they'll retire in like 12 to 18 months, and they'll be sent to a stud farm. And that's where they're boarded and kept for breeding. And that's when the stud fees come into play. So the stud fees are determined through various factors, including the winning and history performance of the horse. And then you start to see the offspring. And if the offspring is performing well, the fee gets increased from there. So the range on these stud fees can be pretty wild, but the best horses command anywhere between like $100,000 or maybe more to what they produce. And here's the craziest part. They're expected to mate at least 100 times per year, 100 times per year. So if you multiply 100,000 by 100, that is $10 million in annual income for the owner. Now, obviously, look, that is not the norm. This horse won the Kentucky Derby and so forth. But there's a big business behind this too, because then you can sell the breeding rights for like eye-watering amounts. I think justifies breeding rights for purchase for $75 million. There's this company called Coolmore, who's essentially like the New York Yankees of horse racing. Justify obviously won the Triple Crown in 2018, I think. Their breeding rights were purchased for $75 million. And the reason why they do this is because they actually transport the horses, I believe, between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. And what that does is you're able to breed even more. So if the traditional horse can breed 100 times per year or made 100 times per year, then they want, when you're transporting them between the hemispheres, you're able to do it like 200 to 250 times per year. And if you're getting $100,000 stud fees out of that, obviously that is a lot of money. Now, like some of these other horses, I think American Pharaoh was another horse that was purchased by Coolmore for $10 million that had an $80,000 stud fee. There's a bunch of other horses too that have done similar stuff. Now, look, if the horses don't perform well, if the offspring don't perform well, then the fees can drastically reduce. There's other horses that have won the Kentucky Derby. Authentic went for $70,000 stud fees. Country House was only $7,500 stud fees. Always Dreaming was 12500 stud fees and so forth, right? So it, it, it's a wide range between kind of low digit thousands to $100,000 plus. So it could be anywhere but in between. But my point is really simple, right? Like there is a massive business behind this, not only when it comes to the actual event and the economy that it's helping in Louisville, Kentucky, Churchill Downs, all the betting, everything like that. But the horse business is obviously crazy too. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure I touch on is kind of what's happening leading up to this event this year. Five horses have actually died at Churchill Downs in the past week. This is important because you know, there's a lot going on in, in horse racing over the last few years. There's been a bunch of different allegations of doping and, and and the use of steroids and other things like that. There's been trainers that have been suspended. There's been new regulatory bodies brought up and, and injected into the sport to try to control some of this stuff. But there's been multiple horses that have died over the last week at Churchill Downs. Churchill Downs actually suspended one of the trainers, Safi Joseph, on Thursday after two of his horses died. They collapsed and died after a race at the spring meet earlier in the week. And there's been another couple of horses that have been scratched from races. So 
Look, these are not things that should be happening leading up to the race. They're not normal, obviously. People are obviously talking about it with Bob Baffert, who's the legendary trainer. He's missing his second trade derby this year as he serves a two-year suspension for positive drug test. He had a, uh, a former Kentucky Derby winner that actually got caught doping and then died a few months later. So this is something that has been plaguing the sport for a few different years now. It's sad to hear about, obviously, going into this year's race. I hope they get it under control. But my point is simple, right? This is a, a big sporting event. It's probably one of the biggest ones in the United States from a single day perspective. It's only a two minute race, but you'll see it all over social media. When Rich Strike won last year, it literally consumed my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed and everything like that. So whether you're a horse fan or not, whether you like betting on them or not, you will enjoy it. It's a fun race. It's cool. I've never attended. That is certainly on my bucket list and something that I hope to do at some point. But this weekend, I will be at the Miami Grand Prix. So look out for more conversation about that early next week. I'll walk you guys through kind of some of the stuff that Formula One is doing to change the narrative at the U.S. races. And I'll walk you through kind of what I experienced there. I'll be in the paddock tomorrow on Saturday. So be on the lookout for that. I'll post some content online and I'll make sure you guys have all the information you need from a sports business perspective. Other than that, I hope everyone has an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, following me on social media and contributing to all of my content. I appreciate it more than you know, and I hope you have a great weekend. We'll talk on Monday.